Chapter Ten of Interrupted by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: An Open Door. Thereafter, Miss Benedict thought much about the Ansteads. She herself could hardly have told why they interested her so much, though she attributed it to the fact that the surroundings of the old house spoke to her of home. The family returned and established themselves there, and the blinds were thrown open, and through the half-drawn shades, as she took her after-school walks, she could see glimpses of bright, beautiful life inside. She longed to get nearer, and saw no way to accomplish it. The Anstead girls had been invited to join the workers. Miss Benedict's influence reached as far as this, though that lady wished she had been sure that the invitation had sounded cordial and hearty. But they had hesitated and hesitated, and proposed to talk with Mama about it, and Mama was reported to have said that it was hardly worth while. They were such entire strangers to the church and the people, that of course they could not be expected to have the interest in it which others had. And the girls had tossed their heads and said they knew it would be just so. They were sorry they had invited them, and they would not be caught that way again, not even for Miss Benedict. Meantime, Miss Benedict studied the Ansteads from a distance, and tried to understand the reasons for their utter isolation from the good people of the village. She cultivated the friendship of the two girls who were her pupils, and who, now that they had declined the invitation to join the others, were more shut off from them than before. Miss Benedict took care, however, not to refer to this episode. There were reasons why she did not desire to know the particulars, but she made herself as winning as she could to the girls, and wondered how and when she could reach their home. As is often the case, the way opened unexpectedly. It was a wintry evening, and she, having walked further than she had intended, was making the return trip with all speed, lest the darkness fast closing on the village should envelop her before she reached the academy. How foolish I was, she told herself, to go so far. I must have walked two miles, and it is beginning to snow. What would Mamma think to see me on the dark street alone? In common with most city-bred ladies, accustomed to treading the brightly lighted city streets with indifference, she looked upon the darkness and silence of the country with a sort of terror, and was making swift strides, not pausing even to get the glimpse of home which shone out broadly across the snow from all the front windows of the house on Curve Hill. It looked very home-like, but her only home was that plain little upper room at the academy, and thither she must go with all speed. Underneath the freshly falling snow lay a treacherous block of ice, and as the hurrying feet touched it, they slipped from their owner's control, and she was lying a limp heap at the foot of Curve Hill. No use to try to rise and hasten on. A very slight effort in that direction told her that one ankle was useless. What was to be done? She looked up and down the street. Not a person was to be seen in either direction. Would it be of any use to call through this rising wind for assistance? How plainly she could see the forms flitting about that bright room! Yet they might as well be miles away 
so far as her power to reach them was concerned. She made a second effort to rise, and fell back with a groan. It was best not to attempt that again, or she would faint, and certainly she had need of her senses now. If only one of those queer-looking wood sleighs, over which she had laughed only this afternoon, would come along and pick her up, how grateful she would be! Somebody else was coming to pick her up. "'What have we here?' said a brisk voice. "'Fallen humanity? Plenty of that to be found. What is the immediate cause?' Then, in a lower tone, "'I believe it is a woman.' By this time he had reached her side, a young man, prepared to make merry over the fallen fortunes of some child. So he had evidently at first supposed. "'I beg pardon, ma'am,' he said, and even at that moment he waited to lift his hat. "'Did you fall? Are you injured? How can I best help you?' Claire Benedict of old had one peculiarity which had often vexed her more nervous young sister. Under embarrassing or trying circumstances of any sort, where the average young woman would be likely to cry, she was nearly certain to laugh. It was just what she did at this moment. "'I think I have sprained my ankle,' she said between her laughs. "'At least, it will not allow me to move without growing faint, so I am keeping still. I thought I needed my senses just now. If you can think of any way of securing a wagon of some sort, in which I can ride to the academy, it will help me materially.' to the academy? Why, that is a mile away. You must take a shorter ride than that for the first one. You cannot be very heavy, I should say. Allow me. And before she understood what he was planning sufficiently to attempt a protest, he had stooped and unceremoniously picked her up, and was taking swift strides across the snow-covered lawn to the side piazza of the Anstead house. The gate leading to the carriage drive was thrown open, so there had been no obstacle in his way. It was ridiculous to laugh under such circumstances, but this was just what Claire did, while her porter threw open the door, strode through the wide hall, and dropped her among the cushions of a luxurious couch in one of the bright rooms. "'Here is a maimed lady,' he said. "Mamma, Alice, where are some of you?' "'Oh, Louis,' said a familiar voice, "'what's the matter? Did you run her over? "'Why, Fanny, it is Miss Benedict! "'Mama! Louis, call Mama quick!' And then Claire really accomplished what she had so often threatened, and fainted entirely away. "'It is only a sprain,' she explained, directly her eyes were open again. "'I was very foolish to faint.' A pleasant, motherly face was bending over her, with eyes like Ella and hair like Fanny. This must be the mother. "'Is it a sprain, do you think?' she asked. "'Or only a sort of twist? Those things are sometimes very painful for a while. We have sent for a physician, and shall soon know what to do for you. In the meantime, Fanny, my dear, her boot should be removed.' Thus reminded, Fanny bent with eager fingers over the injured member. "'Did you fall, Miss Benedict? Wasn't it too bad? But since you were going to fall, I am glad you did it right by our gate. Mama, do you know, this is our music teacher.' 
So I judged, daughter. We are sorry to make her acquaintance in this manner, and glad to be of service. Bring another pillow, Ella. It was all gracefully and graciously said. Mrs. Anstead was not a woman who would have thought of seeking out and calling in a friendly way on her daughter's music teacher. But she was one who, when that music teacher appeared at her door in need of assistance, could bestow it heartily and delicately. She is not like Mama in the least, oh, not in any particular, and yet I think she means to be a good woman so far as she sees the way to it out of the environments of her world. I wonder if there is any way in which I am to help her, and if this is a beginning. This was the mental comment of the music teacher, who was supposed to be absorbed in her own troubles. It all arranged itself speedily and naturally. The doctor came and pronounced the ankle badly sprained, advised entire quiet for a few days, heartily seconded Mrs. Anstead's suggestion that the prisoner should remain with them, and when Claire faintly demurred, that lady said decidedly, Why, of course, it will be the proper thing to do. It is not as though you were at home. The academy is at best a poor place in which to secure quiet, and there is no occasion for submitting to the discomfort of getting there. This is decidedly the place for you. Since it was the treacherous ice on our walk that brought you to grief, you must allow us to make what amends we can. I will send word to Mrs. Foster at once. Claire yielded gracefully. In truth, she was rather anxious to do so. She was interested in the Ansteads. She had been wondering how she could make their acquaintance and interest them in matters that she believed required their aid. She had been doing more than wondering. Only this morning, thinking of the subject, as she locked her door for prayer, she had carried it to Christ, and asked him for opportunities, if indeed he meant that she was to work in this direction. What a signal opportunity! Certainly not of her planning. She must take care how she closed the door on it. Behold her then, an hour later, domiciled in one of the guest chambers of the beautiful old home, where every touch of taste and refinement, yes, and luxury, soothed her heart like a breath from home. This was the home to which she had heretofore been accustomed. More elegant her own had been, it is true, but the same disregard to money that had characterized the belongings of her father's house were apparent here. Everything spoke of a full purse and a cultured taste. It was very foolish, but Claire could not help a little sigh of satisfaction over the delicacy of the curtains and the fineness of the bed draperies. Had she really missed things of that sort so much? she asked herself. Yes, she had, her truthful heart responded. She liked all soft and fair and pretty things, but, after all, the main reason for their soothing influence now was that they said home and mother to her. Laid aside thus suddenly from her regular line of work, the morning found her, dressed and lying on the fawn-colored couch in her pretty room, considering what there was to do that day. She had already feasted royally. The delicate breakfast that had been sent up to her was served on rare old china and accompanied with the finest of damask and the brightest of solid silver. 
They commented on her in the dining-room below after this fashion. Poor creature! I suppose she thinks she has dropped into fairyland. She looks as though she could appreciate the little refinements of life. I quite enjoyed sending her that quaint old cream cup. I fancy she has taste enough to admire it. This from the mother. Then Alice. Mama, are not such things a sort of cruel kindness? Think of going back to the thick dishes and cheap knives of the academy after being served in state for a few days. I know, dear, but we cannot help that part. She will probably not remain long enough to get spoiled. She is really quite interesting. I wonder if she has seen better days. How would Claire have answered this question? Fairyland? Yes, it was something of that to her, but she was like a fairy who had been astray in a new world, and had reached home again. The silver might be choice, but she had seen as choice, and the china might have been handed down for generations, yet the style of it and the feel of it were quite familiar to her. Dainty and delicate things had been everyday matters in her father's house. Different days she had seen, oh, very different. Yet this young girl, so suddenly stranded on what looked like a rough shore, was already beginning to question whether, after all, these were not her better days. Had she ever before leaned her heart on Christ, as she was learning now to do? Busy in his cause she had always been, eagerly busy, ever since she could remember. But she began to have a dim feeling that it was one thing to be busy in his cause, and quite another to walk with him, saying as a child, what next, and taking up the next with a happy unquestioning as to the right of it. Something of this new experience was beginning to steal over her. There seemed to be less of Claire Benedict than ever before, but there was in her place one who was growing willing to be led, and Claire already felt that she would not be willing to take back the old Claire Benedict. She was growing attached to this new one. Before that day closed, the Ansteads had a revelation. It was Alice, the young lady daughter of the house, who had come up to show Mrs. Foster the way, and who lingered and chatted with the cheerful young prisoner after Mrs. Foster had taken her departure. She stooped for Claire's handkerchief, which had dropped, and said, as her eye fell on the name, I know of a young lady who has your full name. That is singular, is it not? The name is not a common one. Who is she? asked Claire, interested. Is she nice? Shall I immediately claim relationship? I am not in the least acquainted with her, though I fancy from what I have heard that she may be very nice. She was pointed out to me once at a concert in Boston by a gentleman who had some acquaintance with her. She is the daughter of Sidney L. Benedict, a millionaire. I suppose you do not know of her, though she is a namesake. I heard more about her father, perhaps, than I did of her. Ever so many people seemed to admire him as a wonderful man, very benevolent, you know, and sort of hopelessly good, he seemed to me. I remember telling my brother Lewis that it must be rather oppressive to have such a reputation for goodness to sustain. Were you ever in Boston? The music teacher was so long in answering that Miss Alice turned toward her questioningly, 
and found that the eyes, but a moment before so bright, were brimming with tears. "'I beg your pardon,' she said sympathetically. "'Does your ankle pain you so badly? Something ought to be done for it. I will call Mama." But Claire's hand detained her. "'It is not that,' she said gently and smiled. "'I forgot my ankle and where I was and everything. He was a good man, Miss Anstead, good and true to the heart's core, and his goodness was not oppressive, it was his joy. He has gone now to wear his crown, and I am proud to be his daughter, Claire. But, oh, there are times when the longing to see him rolls over me so that it swallows every other thought. And then the poor little teacher buried her head in the lace-trimmed pillows and cried outright. Mama, what do you think? Louis, can you believe it possible? She is one of the Boston Benedicts, a daughter of that Sidney L., about whom we heard so much when we were with the Maitlands. I heard he had gone to smash, said Louis, when the first astonishment was over. But I thought he had done it fashionably and provided handsomely for his family. End of chapter 10 Recording by Tricia G.